Hello again, everybody. Jay Sandin here welcoming you to another edition of the GBI show. That's right. It is Gridiron Betting Insights here from ATS. And this week, an exciting show lined up for you as, just like Dave Portnoy, the NFL schedule, it's into the teens. Week 14, to be exact, here in the NFL. We will break it all down for you from a betting perspective, give you all the numbers, all the narrative points you should think about before you lock in your NFL bets for the weekend. We'll talk a little bit about this Thursday night football game as well between the Steelers and the Vikings. Not nearly as competitive, I think, as a lot of people thought it was going to be. Of course, if you are watching live, be sure to weigh in with us on YouTube. Uh, hit us up in the chat box. Uh, they will pop up on my screen here. And of course, uh, anything particularly interesting will make it on to the show as well if you are of course watching live if you are watching or listening on demand thank you for doing that of course uh be sure to subscribe to the podcast feed be sure to download the ats app as well and of course don't forget the gbi show brought to you by the fine folks at caesar's sportsbook use promo code gbi bonus at caesar's sportsbook get a match bet on your first wager worth up to a thousand and one dollars now, we'll talk briefly here about this Vikings-Steelers game. Um, when we're doing the show here, uh, we're in the second half. It is a blowout in favor of the Minnesota Vikings. And it's a game where, you know, it was – I kind of had it written down as if you're going to bet this game, you know, all I have to say is good luck. It's one of those games where the Vikings uh, statistically had an advantage over the Steelers, but they also had quite the disadvantage in the injury department Heading into this game, of course, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins' favorite target, not participating in this week's game, of course. And then you had uh, Dalvin Cook. He was questionable all day. Then all of a sudden he was trending towards playing uh, closer to game time, which is now my favorite term as you see it in the – it sounds like it's like the NBA. The NBA now, you always see people trending towards uh, doubtful or trending towards playing instead of they're doubtful or they're playing. Because at the end of the day, we really don't know until they're actually out on the field what's going to be happening with a lot of these guys. And yet here we are betting our hard-earned currency on it. It's very funny that it works out that way. But, um, you know, yeah, it was one of those games where, despite the statistical edge, there were a lot of guys banged up for the Vikings that kind of made it a tough sell, I think, on top of the fact they had Kirk Cousins in a night game that was important to the health and the future of his team. Um but then on the other side, I mean, man, Ben Roethlisberger just doesn't look good. I, you know, he hasn't for most of the season, and that has kind of continued into tonight for the Steelers. Um, you know, both of these teams right around 500 against the spread this season. It was just it was not a game that was particularly compelling to yours truly, even if the Vikings do look like they uh, they ended up being the right play in this game, um, the Steelers, they host the Titans next week. So things not necessarily getting easier for them as, I mean, they really do need to stack up wins here in the competitive AFC playoff picture. If they want to avoid falling behind all of these uh, AFC West teams in the wild card picture, especially, and then, you know, you got the Colts and Titans kind of one, two in the South, um, you figure that the second place team in that division is going to finish ahead of the Steelers as well. So it's it's an interesting situation there for Pittsburgh coming out of this game with what looks like a pretty resounding loss 
Uh, whereas the Vikings, you know, you wish that they had just beaten the Lions last week. Had they beaten the Lions last week, they would be uh, above 500 after this game and things would be a lot different for them. But uh, instead, they will probably leave week 14 a game below 500 because of that horrible lapse against the Lions last week. And we'll see where it takes them. I mean, you know, they are definitely still in the race here in the NFC where you have a lot of sub 500 teams kind of fighting for those last couple of playoff spots, but uh, we will see what happens with them as we go along. So that's Thursday night football. Um, Not going to lie. Was much more interested in jazz 76ers during this uh, Thursday night football game, but that's just me. I'm a, I'm a big hoops guy. So I apologize for that. Let's get to the Sunday slate here on the program, and let's move to the NFC East. We'll talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington football team first. The Cowboys, four-and-a-half-point favorites. Total in the game, 48. And you remember the Cowboys coming into this game with a few extra days of rest. I played on Thursday Night Football last week, and they look pretty good there against the New Orleans Saints on the road, picking up a victory. Of course, that was Taysom Hill's first start for the Saints this season. Uh, Washington, by the way, they've won four games in a row, and their last game, of course, a win last Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. And they've looked impressive, but I think some of it kind of needs to be taken with a grain of salt. The Raiders, uh, boy, that was a disappointment from them, kind of reverting back to what we'd seen for the last few weeks not counting what we saw from them on Thanksgiving against Dallas. And then, you know, you look at the the other games that they've won recently, outside of Tampa Bay, of course, to be completely fair. They did beat the Brakes off of the Buccaneers primarily with their defense. That was impressive. But, uh, you know, then they beat the Carolina Panthers with Cam Newton, and that win looks less and less impressive as time goes on. Um, I think that this is a game that the Cowboys, they should win convincingly. But I uh, I think that it's going to be potentially tighter than expected. I you know it's a game that at that number I'm a little skittish on. To be completely honest with you, if I could get it closer to a field goal, I'd be a little bit more gung ho on the Cowboys. But I think currently Tony Pollard being questionable for this game. We're not sure what's going on with Randy Gregory again. I think it's a game that you're best suited. <laughs> to stay away from, to be completely honest with you. I think, you know, division game could be pretty unpredictable. Although Mike McCarthy is saying that he's uh, he's confident in his team to win the game. I guess it's, you know, that's what you're going to say as a head coach to be, you know, a lot of people got very excited on social media. Oh, McCarthy's confident that they're going to come away with a win this week. What is he supposed to say? That they aren't confident that they're going to come away with a win? That would come across as uh, pretty poor on his part. But I do think that uh, I do think the Cowboys win the game. Whether or not they cover at four and a half is another question for me entirely. Both of these teams with division games coming up uh, next week. By the way, I think that is worth pointing out here that the uh, the Cowboys face the Giants and the football team faces the Eagles next week. So we are getting into it in the NFC East, where all of these decent but not great teams are uh, are going to start eliminating one another from playoff contention here in the near future. Go to another division game next here on the, sh- on the show, and we're going to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars, eight-and-a-half-point underdogs 
going to Tennessee to take on the Titans. Total 43 and a half. And you get to this point in the season with these lower tier teams, right? Where the question isn't just can they win a game, it is do they want to win a game? And we're reaching the point, I think, pretty rapidly with the Jaguars where the answer is going to become no to that question, right? Because you have a situation there in Jacksonville where the coach and quarterback, both in their first year, not a lot of expectations, but also, you know, they're not on the hot seat or anything like that, right? One bad year, unless Urban Meyer decides that he wants to go to college or be on television or whatever whatever he wants to do, um, he's not going to get fired after one year in all likelihood. And so you can reach a point here with Jacksonville where the answer to the question of do they want to win late in the season, at least, you know, from an upper level standpoint, of course, the players are always trying to win. But that answer could become no sooner rather than later. And you come into this game with the Jaguars statistically inferior to the Titans, of course, um, you know, maybe not by as much as one might think, I, you know, offensively, they're both in the bottom half of the league yards per play wise, which certainly doesn't go with the reputation of the Tennessee Titans, but moving the ball on the ground primarily instead of through the air, I guess it makes sense. But the Jaguars, four straight losses, 0-5 on the road heading into this game. And again, you just you wonder how much do they want to put up a fight here? And I'm not sure that it's I'm not sure it's a whole lot. On the flip side, I'm not sure if the Titans right now have the firepower to make them pay for the situation that the Jaguars find themselves in. Right? AJ Brown on injured reserve, Derek. Henry out for the season. Uh, Julio Jones, I think, is practicing again. I think I read. So, I mean, you know, who knows? We could see Julio Jones soon. We could see Julio Jones this week for all I know. I'm not sure. But I don't think that this Titans team, as currently constructed, has the kind of firepower to blow away the Jaguars anyway. You know, we saw last week the Rams beat them 37-7 to in uh, at SoFi Stadium there. I don't think the Titans right now are capable of that kind of performance. For that reason, I would lean toward the under in this game, the under 43 and a half. Um, You know, I think it's one of those games where the Titans should control it, but I don't think that they necessarily put up a massive point total to uh, push the game over. That would be my opinion there on Jaguars and Titans. Next up, Seahawks, seven and a half point favorites taking on the Texans. And right, this is another one of those games with a bottom-tier team who, I mean, the Houston Texans, by the way, eliminated from playoff contention at 2-10, and 10, even though uh, Jacksonville is technically below them in the standings at 2-10. and 10, uh, Houston has been formally eliminated, whereas the Jaguars have not yet been because of whatever tiebreaker scenarios exist in the world of the NFL. But it's another game where you ask, right, the Texans, what's their situation like? Do they care enough about these late-season games when their fate is already sealed? And I guess that depends on how much you think that the current administration is going to remain there after this year, right? Another new coaching situation. And, I mean, of course, you have to cut that guy a 
world of slack in Cully in the fact that he's had to inherit the Deshaun Watson situation. They couldn't find a trade partner. Even when they do find a trade partner, are they going to get any sort of value for him given that, uh, you know, he might not be able to play once everything is investigated to completion. Uh, you know, there was a lot more beyond football that he had to deal with. And then Terod Taylor meant to replace Watson. He gets injured. Uh, just a disaster of a season from start to finish for the Texans. And it's one where I think that he probably gets another crack at it there in Houston. And it's when you start to think about the draft positioning, right? They are in a real competitive situation with teams like the Lions and the Jaguars and the Jets for the top pick in the upcoming NFL draft. But again, can the Seahawks kind of make Houston pay with their offense? I, you know, it's very similar to me to the Jaguars-Texans game. Yes, we had a much better second half from the Seattle Seahawks last week against the 49ers. You remember they were down big in that game, and then, you know, they forced a couple of turnovers. They do finally get a couple of explosive plays, and all of a sudden it looks very different with Seattle picking up a much-needed win at home. But the fact that it was at that point in the first place, still a major red flag for me. The Seattle team not not scoring consistently throughout the course of a 60-minute game. You still have Collins, Homer, DK Metcalf, all questionable in that Seattle offense. Jamal Adams, of course, done for the year for Seattle as well. But this is a team in Seattle that, you know, they're 19th in the league in yards per play. Of course, they're going to be better than Houston. Everybody's better than Houston. They rank dead last in that regard. But these two teams, not super different statistically this season outside of the fact that just everybody's better than the Texans and moving the football. It's another game where I would lean toward the under here. You know, Seattle on the road. Are they going to put together a solid offensive performance for four quarters? I really don't think. That's going to be the case, especially with them facing the Rams next week in a rivalry game. I think that the under, once again, uh, should be the play in that matchup. Let's go to another division game. Let's just keep firing off these division games here on the Gridiron Betting Insights Show. And we will go now to the AFC West, which has been the most competitive division in the league for the majority of the season from top to bottom. And we're going to go to a matchup between the top two teams in that division. I'm, of course, talking about the Las Vegas Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs. Raiders on the road, nine-and-a-half-point dogs, total 48. And, of course, last week, Las Vegas coming off of one of their better games of the season there, Thanksgiving, beating the Cowboys. And there were some high expectations, at least relative to what we had over the previous few weeks for the Raiders going into that game. And they responded by scoring 15 points and losing 17-15 to Taylor Heineke and the Washington football team. Washington, to be completely fair, now with four wins in a row, they're looking a lot better than they did early in the season. But that is a game you have to win if you are the Las Vegas Raiders and you want to be taken seriously as a team that could qualify for the playoffs in the AFC. They didn't do it. They come into this game now against a Chiefs team that has won a few games in a row, looking better than they did early in the season. And, of course, now Darren Waller is still questionable with his knee injury. Carl Nassib questionable. You have a couple of key injuries to deal with on this Raiders team. 
when your morale might not be super high to begin with. Now, on the other side, everybody, I think, is a lot higher on the Chiefs than I am right now. The Chiefs are a team, yes, they have been stacking wins, but if you look at those wins critically, outside of the offensive outburst against the Raiders where they put up like 40-something points in Las Vegas, outside of that game, they played the Giants, they got to like 20 points. They played the Packers, 13 points. Dallas, they beat them 19-9. And then last week, yeah, they win 22-9 against the Denver Broncos, but you have to remember... They got a long pick six in that game. Sorensen's out there breaking tackles and all this stuff on his way to the end zone. Uh, You know, not a super sustainable way of putting up points. You take away that pick six, and you're looking at something like like a like a seventeen to nine type of game. And for that reason, I would lean toward the Las Vegas Raiders. In this game, now, you know, both of these teams five and seven against the spread on the season, but you look at their numbers in terms of their offense and defense this year. Las Vegas is better on both sides of the ball on a per play basis, which I guess is a little surprising on the offensive end, not at all surprising on the defensive end. The Chiefs tied for 30th in the league, still in yards per play allowed, averaging six yards per play given up. And I think that this Raiders team, uh, listen, ton of flaws. But what they do have is a passing game that can punish a porous defense like this one on the Chiefs. I think that Denver certainly showed they did not have that. And that was really the big difference as to why Denver wasn't able to cover when all was said and done last week. But I think that at least the the illusion of a vertical threat will help Las Vegas uh, keep some defenders back and allow them to run the ball, which has worked for them at least in the recent history of this rivalry, right? Remember that game? I don't remember if it was last season or the year before, but where the Raiders won outright at Arrowhead, and it was just their ability to run the ball, but, but you know, put up points while doing it. It wasn't like they were just running the clock. I mean, they scored in the 40s in that contest. I think I don't think we see something similar in terms of the result here. I think the Chiefs win the game, but I think that it's a game where Kansas City's offensive struggles should not be overlooked. Uh, laying laying double figures with this Chiefs team, with these offensive struggles, I think is something that simply cannot be justified at this point in time. Now let's go to a game that finally is not a division game in the NFL in Week 14. I am talking about Saints-Jets. Saints five-and-a-half-point favorites at MetLife Stadium, total 42 and a half. Of course, again, the Saints, they will have some extra prep time for this game coming off of Thursday night football where they lost at home to the Cowboys. The Jets coming off of a loss to the Eagles, which doesn't sound like it's a terrible thing, but then you look at it and they were beaten pretty convincingly, beaten by two scores against an Eagles team with Gardner Minshew at the quarterback position. Now, Minshew... You know, he had his moments in Jacksonville, and everybody likes his mustache, whatever. I, I don't want to get that guy, Eric, uh, who we talked about last week, upset that I'm uh, besmirching his Jacksonville Jaguars again. But Minshew was playing his first game with the Eagles. He didn't have a lot of time to prepare for that game, and it did not seem to matter. He carved up the Jets, and... You know, you look at that performance and then you take it and you try to extrapolate it 
onto Taysom Hill, who's in a similar situation in that, right? This is going to be his second week as the starting quarterback for the Saints. Uh, they backed up a whole dump truck full of money in front of him before he had the chance to start and before he's really proven himself to be a valuable offensive commodity for that team, in my opinion. And you wonder now, will the Jets have a second straight poor offensive showing against a guy who might not be fully qualified to deliver against them, given how little he has been in charge of the offense he's being asked to run at this point in time? Right. I mean, you know, it's nothing against Minshew. It was the fact that he just didn't have a lot of time running the Eagles offense as its starting quarterback to make that work. That's what made it embarrassing for the Jets. Same thing here. Can Taysom Hill in just his second full week as the Saints starting quarterback carve up the Jets? And I think that this is a decent buy low spot for the Saints. I still am not sold enough on Hill to lay points with him on the road. Again, we've seen the Jets win outright as underdogs at home on a couple of occasions against decent teams. We saw it against Tennessee. We saw it against Cincinnati. It is entirely possible that it happens again here. But it also is worth noting the offense for the Jets not in the best shape injury-wise Right now, Elijah Moore and Tevin Coleman, both questionable. They are banged up. And then, of course, Corey Davis put on injured reserve. It's a game where I would lean the Saints or pass here. I think this is a decent buy low spot on Taysom Hill, who might have his best game as a quarterback in his entire professional career this week. Just because the Jets are so bad defensively, they are dead last in yards per play allowed this season. And I think that that only continues, especially with Alvin Kamara being expected to play this week for New Orleans. So I would lean toward the Saints there. Next up, more division matchup action. Falcons-Panthers, NFC South showdown. Falcons two-and-a-half-point dogs on the road, total 42. And the big story coming into this game is what a mess the offense of the Carolina Panthers is. So, you know, you have your little sentimental moment, you know, right? Cam Newton comes back and, you know, he's yelling into the camera, oh, I'm back and everything's great. He's scoring touchdowns. He's taking them away from, you know, my personal uh, favorite NFL quarterback, P.J. Walker, because I was a big XFL guy when it had come back there in 2020. But since then, it's been a nightmare for the Carolina Panthers, an absolute nightmare for the Panthers. Um, Newton has kind of gone back to being the Cam Newton we've seen in previous seasons, struggling to complete passes with accuracy. Then, of course, Christian McCaffrey deemed done for the season for the Panthers. And now it's getting even worse as Joe Brady is out as the offensive coordinator there in Carolina. And, of course, Joe Brady was the guy who kind of resurrected Joe Burrow at LSU, turned him from just a complete mid-tier guy to, uh, you know, a Heisman Trophy success story who won a national championship and one of the best seasons in recent college football history, Um, you know, all while Ed Orgeron was just trying to, you know, pick up ladies in the, uh, the LSU practice field 
or whatever he was doing. The point is now you've got an interim offensive coordinator, play caller, whatever's going on there, a quarterback that's not very good, and you don't have your best offensive weapon. I think all of that lends itself to the Atlanta Falcons potentially covering the spread here on the road. I would lean toward the Falcons in this game. Um, it's a game that, you know, again, it's going to be an ugly one, right? You're going to have to hold your nose here. Both of these teams in the bottom 10 in the NFL in yards per play on the season. Uh, Carolina, the second worst team in the league in that regard. And the Panthers, they're also in the top two in yards per play allowed this season, right? So, you know, their wins have come via their defense. But you think about kind of the symbiotic relationship between offense and defense in the NFL, right? When an offense cannot stay on the field, that means the defense is defending more plays more quickly, right? A three and out as opposed to a drive where at least you pick up a couple of first downs and you punt. That's a few extra minutes the defense is not on the sideline when you have a three and out. A little bit less rest, a little bit less recovery from the last drive that the defense had to be out there. Well, without your offensive coordinator, with an abysmal quarterback situation, and without Christian McCaffrey to at least bail everybody out in the running game and with short passing game, you're going to see more three and outs from this Panthers team. And in the long run, you're going to see a more tired Carolina defense. And I think that lends itself very well to the Falcons in this game. By the way, Falcons 4-2 and two on the road straight up this season. So they are no strangers to picking up wins on the road. They've been horrendous at home on the year. I believe they have one win on their home field. But uh, I think this is a game where they could very well move to 5-2 and two straight up on the road and do it again as an underdog. Next up, we are going to the AFC North. Ravens-Browns. Ravens, three-point dogs, total 43. And, you know, this Thursday night football game is unfolding before our eyes where the Steelers, uh, they're getting the brakes beaten off of them by the Minnesota Vikings. That doesn't look good on the Ravens as they lost to Pittsburgh last week. And granted, they were in Pittsburgh, you know, it was a road game as opposed to now the Steelers are on the road this week. I get all that. But the fact that the Ravens are struggling offensively to the point where this Pittsburgh team was able to outscore them, that is certainly concerning. Um, you know, there was, of course, debate about the two-point conversion call for the Ravens at the end of that game last week. I didn't have a problem with it. I, You know, I would – it's weird. They they use Lamar Jackson to throw the ball there. That's an interesting choice as far as I'm concerned as had he located it, it would have been – it would have worked out for them. But that's his problem. He doesn't locate passes particularly well, especially in big spots and big games. That's just kind of who he is. At this point, I've uh, I've used the F word to describe him on many occasions. I am, of course, not talking about the F word that a certain wagering personality has used to describe Cliff Lee in the past. I am, of course, uh, talking about the word fraud to describe Lamar Jackson. And the last few weeks, he's kind of lived up to that, right? Division games that have been significant. He threw four interceptions against the Cleveland Browns. And then, of course, last week against the Steelers didn't look particularly convincing 
either. And I mean, he is at this point really costing his team, if not actually costing them wins, costing them the ability to kind of get through games without as much stress. And I think this is a game where the Cleveland Browns get revenge on Baltimore for what they did to him a couple of weeks ago. You got to remember that the Cleveland Browns, after that last Ravens game a couple of weeks ago on Sunday Night Football, they went into their bye week. So it was Ravens bye and then Ravens again for the Browns. So they have been able to prepare for the Baltimore Ravens for three straight weeks now. And they were able to presumably make adjustments from the last game, which they lost to the Ravens, instead of having to focus on a new uh, opponent in between. I think that benefits the Browns greatly here. I also think that it's just a different Ravens team when they're on the road. They're playing their second straight road game here, but you got to remember the Ravens five and one at home this season, three and three on the road. They go from being an extremely talented, extremely strong team at home. And of course they still have that talent when they go on the road but it just hasn't translated, right? We've seen that loss to the Steelers, which didn't look particularly good. We saw the Thursday night football loss to the Miami Dolphins, which was outright embarrassing for the Baltimore Ravens. I, it's just, it's a Jekyll and Hyde situation with this team between home and road. And I think that that is going to cost the Baltimore Ravens here. I think that this is a game that really helps open up the division race in the AFC North as the Browns would pull just a little bit closer as we get down to the final month of the season. But yeah, I mean, I think that Lamar, until he really reins it in, I think that we are going to continue to see issues on the uh, on the Baltimore Ravens side of things. Next up, you're on the GBI show. Giants-Chargers, the uh, Eli Manning Memorial game here, as it were. Giants, 10-point underdogs on the road, total 43. And my big question coming into this game, this is more as a Giants fan than as a sports gambling enthusiast, um, can the Giants just like forfeit these games until Daniel Jones is ready to play again? Because I, I can't. I cannot sit here and watch Mike Glennon try to play football and usually fail pretty miserably at it. I just, It's just pointless. It is pointless for this Giants team to be on the field as currently constructed without Daniel Jones. There's nothing to be gained from it. It's not like you're seeing what you have for a potential future starter in Mike Glennon. He is not starter material in this league. And you throw on top of that all these other injuries at skill positions. I mean, it's been, I feel like it's been months that I've been sitting here saying, Saquon Barkley's questionable. Sterling Shepard's questionable. Kenny Galladay's questionable. Kadarius Toney is questionable. It has been months of me saying it. It's not getting any better. It's just, it's an awful situation for the Giants. And uh, I wish that this season would just come to a merciful end only for them. Like, I want to watch everybody else play. I don't want to watch the Giants play that's currently constructed. Now, meanwhile, you have a Chargers team that they come off a pretty impressive win last week on the road against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I believe that they put up a 40-burger on them. They moved the ball efficiently right from the word go. I was very wrong about that game. I thought that the Bengals at home in a body clock game would have uh, would have fared a lot better than they did against the Chargers, but that was not the case. And 
I mean, this is an L.A. Chargers team. They're tied for fifth in the league in yards per play on the year, averaging almost a full yard per play more than the Giants on the season. And, of course, you have to remember that disparity only going to look worse with Mike Glennon probably playing quarterback for the Giants this week, right? Daniel Jones is doubtful, and it's a big opportunity for the Chargers, not just to win an important game, to stay in the playoff race, stay in the division race in the AFC West. This is a big game because I feel like we've seen a lot of Chargers games this season in L.A., where they have played against teams with like rabid fan bases, right? We've seen them play against the Cleveland Browns at home, for example. We've seen them play against the Dallas Cowboys, right? Like teams with fan bases that are known to be extremely passionate, but like that travel well, you know, like you know when when like when the when the Steelers played in LA, it felt like a Steelers home game. I don't think that's the case with the Giants right now. I feel like where the Giants are at as a franchise and all the ineptitude with Gettleman, all the coaching staff issues they've had in recent years, like the fan base is not mobilized. Like we're not going to see an atmosphere and hear an atmosphere that feels like a Giants home game at SoFi Stadium, in my opinion, which is going to be rare. It's going to be a rare home game that feels like a home game for the Chargers. And I think that they could very well take advantage of that. I would lean toward the Chargers in this game. Not a ton of conviction behind it, only because it's still a double-digit line in the NFL. You're looking at garbage time touchdowns. That could get in the way. But I would lean toward the Chargers in this game. Giants, just a complete disaster right now. Speaking of disasters, let's give credit to a disaster of a franchise in the NFL that went and made it right last week. I'm talking about the Detroit Lions, folks. Eight-and-a-half-point dogs this week at the Denver Broncos, total of 42. And this is a Lions team that could have just completely given up on its season. Right? I mean, they were winless through Week 13. They had the tie to their credit. I'm sorry, it was through Week 12. They're winless through Week 12, heading into Week 13. They had the tie, but they didn't have a win to their name. And they went out there, and they showed legitimate heart and mounted a last-second touchdown drive to beat the Minnesota Vikings last week. I give them a ton of credit. They have been abysmal this season, but they have been abysmal with like a level of effort that deserves to be commended, as far as I'm concerned. right? Dan Campbell, you can tell he's at least trying to build a culture there in Detroit, which is something that you haven't felt in a while with that team. And yeah, the results aren't there right now. They're a disaster in the secondary, which is not good in the modern NFL. Jared Goff has been just a, just a wreck for them, but he wasn't last week. He was the offensive player of the week last week because he put together an excellent performance against a Vikings team that not great defensively, at least on a consistent basis, but you know, they've been okay, right? They did okay against the Steelers here on Thursday night football. Give the Lions a lot of credit for that. The Lions this season are 8-4 and against the spread this year because they've been a huge underdog time and time again, and they've at least been semi-respectable in some of those games, at least recently, right? They tied the Steelers. They finally got the win against the Vikings. They've been at least reasonably competitive in some of these games, right? They went to the wire against the Baltimore Ravens earlier in the season. 
The wins haven't been there, but they have at least been putting forth an effort. Now, you look at the Denver Broncos, meanwhile. They fattened up early in the season against a real weak schedule. Right off the bat, Giants, Jets, Jaguars, just crushed them all. Great, 3-0. Since then, they are 3-6 against the spread. Home, away, whatever, they have not been good against the number since that easy portion of their schedule early on. Von Miller no longer there. Bradley Chubb questionable for this game. I think that the Lions should cover the spread here. I would lean toward the Lions as eight-and-a-half-point dogs coming into this game. I just like the way that they've been playing, and I have not been impressed with the way that the Denver Broncos have been playing now that their season's got a lot more difficult. Three and six straight up, three and six against the spread since that easy three and zero start. And what's more is that you know they've been losing some games at home, right? They lost to the Eagles at home. Um, I just I think that this is a game. I don't think they're going to lose it outright, but I think we see this game fall somewhere within a touchdown. I think that defensively, especially, you give the Lions a lot of credit. They have been at least working to keep teams out of the end zone, something they were not doing early in the season. I think this game might be a one-possession contest when it's all said and done. Now, in the late slate, there are a couple of really good games on Sunday, and we're going to talk about one of them right now, and then we'll get to the next one right after it. Talking about 49ers, Bengals, total 49, the Niners a one-point road favorite, and both of these teams coming off of pretty rough losses last week, right? We talked about the Bengals, they got crushed by the L.A. Chargers at home. And then you talk about the Niners, got out to that big lead against the Seahawks, and then, you know, fumbling kickoffs, turning the ball over, making a real mess out of the second half. They end up uh, losing that game to a Seattle team that, frankly, just isn't very good this year. Not a great look for Jimmy G and company. Um, Still some injury concerns on offense for the Niners. Debo Samuel, questionable. Elijah Mitchell, also questionable, um, but certainly not the only team in this game with some injury concerns on offense. You got Burrow, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, all questionable. Wouzier in the secondary, who's been a real playmaker for the Bengals, also questionable to play in this game. Um, you know, both of these teams pretty strong statistically this season on the offensive side of the ball. But the Niners a little bit better in terms of their yards to play offensively and defensively this season. Um, both teams, you know, right around 500 against the spread. I think that the question is, I mean, which of these teams is going to come out with a fire under them after a rough, embarrassing week the week before? I would lean toward very slightly the Cincinnati Bengals just by virtue of them being at home, whereas the Niners are playing multiple road games consecutively. I think that's a big problem. Um, It is worth noting, by the way, to be completely fair in this game, this is a 4.25 p.m. Eastern start. This is not the typical San Francisco comes east and plays at 1 p.m. Eastern and, you know, are they – like jet lagged or whatever excuse people use for those body clock games. So that's not a factor here, but I do think that multiple road games consecutively, a lot of travel to deal with for the Niners. I think that's going to be significant. And I think that that does favor the Cincinnati Bengals heading into this game. 
Now, my favorite game on the schedule this week, week 14 of the NFL season, Buffalo Bills, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I have possible Super Bowl preview here, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, I will tell you why I think that in just a minute. Bills, three and a half point dogs, total 53 and a half, and I think you need to just kind of throw out what we saw last week on Monday Night Football between the Bills and the Patriots. Yes, the Patriots win that game. Credit to the Patriots for doing so. But high wins, the Bills a much pass-happier team than the Patriots, who were very content to uh, to run the Navy midshipman slash Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, running the veer there, having Mac Jones throw the ball three times total in that game in those high wins, whereas the Bills, I mean, they just don't have a running game that is built to succeed in conditions like what we saw on Monday night. They need the ball in Josh Allen's hands to be successful. And with those wins, that simply was not viable. They tried it anyway down the stretch. It didn't work. I think that the Bills bounce back here. They have had some impressive wins away from home this season. They blew out a Miami team that's looking a lot better in the you know the later portion of the season. Uh, they beat the Saints on Thanksgiving on the road. Of course, they beat up on the Chiefs on the road earlier this season. They are a team that has done very well away from home. And the most important thing here, I listen, you're playing in Florida. The weather is going to be A-okay for the Bills to air the ball out because that's what they need to do. They just do not have the personnel to run the ball effectively for four quarters. Uh, both of these teams in the top seven in the NFL in yards per play offensively. But the big difference here, a... 0.7 yard per play difference in favor of the Bills on the defensive side. The Bills number one in the NFL in yards per play allowed. And to be completely fair, it might be tough for them to get stops in this game with Tredavious White not being in the equation for Buffalo. But I would lean toward the Bills here. I do think that the offense is going to have a big day. Um, I think both offenses have a big day. I think, you know, if you're a totals enthusiast, um, the over might not be the worst look. I think that both of these teams air it out effectively, but I do think that the Bills, you know, they've been alternating wins and losses over the last eight games. I think they do the same here. They could very well win that game outright. I am very high on the Bills this season when things like weather are not an issue, and I think that that continues here this week. I do think that uh, they at least – make this similar to what we saw against Dallas at the beginning of the season for Tampa Bay, where I think that we have a game that could very well be within a field goal or the Bills could win it outright. Now, kind of a disappointing Sunday night football game coming up this week, and we'll touch on it real quick here. Bears-Packers, Bears 12.5-point Bears dogs, total 43. It's going to be Justin Fields uh, this week for the Bears. He has been cleared after his whole rib injury situation. But this is disappointing to have on Sunday night. I, you know, wouldn't you have rather seen the Bills and the Bucks or any of the other really interesting games on the schedule this week? Uh, we are not going to get those. You know, each network gets to protect whatever games or something. But it's disappointing to have to deal with the Bears. Just, I mean, they're going to get trucked by the Packers here. The question is, is it by enough to cover the number? And you know, I think above anything else. Um, 
you know, you got to look at the injury situation before you play this game. Uh, Rodgers and Adams both on the injury report is questionable. Bakhtiari the same for the Green Bay offense. And then, you know, you look at the you look at the Bears, Allen Robinson, Marquise Goodwin, David Montgomery, all questionable, Akeem Hicks, like the last remaining effective D-line player for the Bears, uh, also questionable. So, I mean, a lot of question marks in this game. But we all know, I mean, as long as Rodgers is okay to go with the toe situation, that it's going to be a long day for the Bears because, as he said earlier this season, he still owns the Chicago Bears, and he was not wrong. And I'm upset this is the Sunday night game, to be completely honest. I get it. It's like the oldest rivalry in the NFL or whatever. But, uh, you know, as as a coastal elite, as opposed to a, uh, a blue-collar Midwesterner, I guess I, uh, I'm just not very interested in what should be kind of a blowout game in a real non-competitive rivalry, at least uh, for the majority of my lifetime. So that's Sunday night football. Let's look at Monday night football. Rams, Cardinals. Rams, two-point dogs on the road going to Arizona on Monday night. Total 51. And you got to remember, I mean, the Cardinals crushed the Rams in the first edition of this series earlier in the year. And a big reason for that was the running game of the Arizona Cardinals. Everybody thinks about the Cardinals. They think about Kyler Murray throwing laser beams to DeAndre Hopkins and whoever else. It was the running game. They had like 216 yards on the ground as a team against the LA Rams. And it wasn't like it was all Kyler Murray scrambles. Like Chase Edmonds had a huge game. Uh, Connor was contributing as well in the running game. It was like mostly the running backs racking up those 216 yards. The question is, can the Rams put a stop to it this time? And, you know, I'm leaning toward yes going into this matchup. I think that the Rams could very well win this game outright. You know, they finally got right last week offensively. It was against the Jaguars. But they finally, you know, it's like when a shooter's going through a cold streak in basketball, right? He needs to see the ball go through the net is what you always hear. Well, the Rams last week, they saw the ball go through the net, so to speak, after a three-game losing streak where they really struggled on the offensive side of the ball. They saw the ball go through the net. They put up 37 points against the listless Jaguars, and I think that really helps them coming into this game. Now you get a little bit of momentum. The connection was reestablished between Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup. During that game last week, I think that is important. And I think that a big key to this game, the potential for an improved pass rush on the Rams side compared to what we saw in the first matchup between these teams, right? Von Miller added to the equation for the Rams, and that'll allow you to not have to overcommit, right? Not overextend yourself trying to get pressure on Kyler Murray if he's able to get to him. Whether or not that happens remains to be seen, but I think that the roster construction for the Rams better for stopping the Cardinals than it was about 10 weeks ago when they first played and the Cardinals kind of had their way with the LA Rams. I think the Rams very well could win that game outright. I really do. And uh, either way, it's a really good Monday night football game. It is it is uh, nice to have one of those, especially after a kind of a disappointing choice for the Sunday night football matchup. Either way, we're going to get some fireworks, I think, 
in that Rams-Cardinals game, really looking forward to it. So that is your look at week 14 of the NFL season, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you for checking out this edition of the GBI show. Of course, uh, subscribe to the ATS.io podcast feed to get the show right on your device every week. Usually drops on Friday before the games. While you're there, feel free to leave us a a nice little five-star rating, write a nice little review about how central my voice is or uh, how you're excited to subscribe to the podcast and not have to see my face when we do the show. Uh, Either way, greatly appreciated. And, of course, don't forget, check out Caesar Sportsbook Match Bet on your first wager up to $1,001. We will be back next week, week 15 of the NFL season. I'm sure we'll do a bunch of – we're we're getting very close to a goofy Christmas sweater episode – Christmas pun time, all that fun stuff. Uh, We are getting closer to it. But week 15 next week will be the focus of conversation. Until next time, Jay Sannon saying thank you for listening or watching however you consume the show. Have a good day, night, whenever you're watching or listening. And uh, we will see you next week here on the Gridiron Betting Insight Show from ATS.